All right, for First Peter chapter 2 is where we are, and we're looking at the first three verses this evening, where Peter implores us, saying, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm reading from the ESV. If you have the NASB or King James or something else in front of you, you might notice that some things are different, and we'll talk about that this evening, okay? But for now, as we get started, the big idea is here on the board. We were born again through the Word. We learned that last week, didn't we? The end of the chapter, end of chapter 1. We were born again through the Word for what purpose? That we might crave a life defined by it. We were born again through the Word that we might crave a life defined by the Word. You notice that here in chapter 2 and verse 1, it starts off with either the word therefore or the word so. Again, why is it important that we notice the therefores? Because we have to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore, okay. They said enthusiastically. Yes, uh, so therefore or so, he's saying, in light of what I was just saying. That's why uh, Peter starts off this verse that way. In light of what we were just covering last week at the end of chapter 1, put away these things. He's saying in light of, think of all the things that we've discovered in chapter 1. In light of salvation, there was a lot said about salvation in chapter 1, right? That God has chosen you as elect exiles, that you would be sanctified, that you would be set apart for obedience to Jesus Christ. He's caused you to be born again. We saw the idea of being born again twice in chapter 1, in light of salvation. And some other things we saw in chapter 1, the call to holiness. Look back at verse 16, verses 16 and 17 where we are implored again here, be holy. It says in verse 16, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we also see verse 17, a future judgment. We discussed that a few weeks ago, a future judgment. And then finally, we saw at the end of chapter 1 that we covered last week, our new birth through the Word, specifically through the Word. And that's um, something that I want you to keep in mind tonight in this study, is that the Word of God is central to all of these things. So, Paul, or so Peter is saying, therefore, or so, in light of these things, in light of your salvation, have you You've now been called to holiness. There's a future judgment for you. There's a new birth that's been granted to you through the Word of God. In light of all these things, put away or put aside or set aside or lay aside, however your translation has it, all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Okay? So I I don't want us to lose perspective of this because if we just jump into a verse cold and say, okay, these are the things that you are to do, Uh, we don't get the full picture. And whenever we're going slowly, verse by verse through a book, we have to always remember where we were last week and where we were in the weeks before. Because as they received this letter, they, of course, read it all as a whole. And we don't want to lose sight and say, okay, here's the thing, do these things. And 
Forget about everything else that was said. In fact, it's because everything else that was said up to this point that we have these commands to do these things. It's because of the great salvation that's been given to us that we're called to live in this way. All right, so we don't want to lose sight of the context. But let's talk about these things that we are called to set aside. Malice. What is malice? Someone tell us, tell us, what is malice? Yeah, wickedness. That's a good word. Um, in Greek, it's the word kakos. You've heard the word kaka before, probably used in a variety of settings. Um, in the Greek, it's the word kakos. And it's really a very general term. It's a very broad term, just meaning wickedness or evil or hatred. It means to be bad-natured. So if someone has this as a part of their character, that person is just bad-intentioned and seeking to cause a measure of harm to somebody. That's what malice is. There's an Abraham Lincoln biography that we read in my 10th grade American history class called With Malice Toward None about Abraham Lincoln's character. He was a man that had malice toward none, supposedly. <laughs> um, but that's what we're called to do here uh, as Christians. We are, to call, we are called to set aside all malice. Interesting word. Okay. What about the next word there, deceit? What's that mean, deceit? Deception. Yeah, what's deception? Untruth, yeah, there you go. A purpose untruth. And what's really cool about this Greek word, which I believe is dolos, uh, D-O-L-O-S, it literally means to bait a hook. It's the same term that's used for baiting a hook. So you, you're out fishing, and you're just deceiving all those little wall-eyed fish in there. Uh, and in that setting, of course, that's great. I love it when people deceive fish for me, actually. So if anybody's you know, looking to feed me fish, uh, you, you can just sign up anytime. But that's what that means. Um, now, how, what are some examples of how that happens person to person, especially in the church? Okay? We have to remember here that Peter's talking to Christians, and he's talking about, of course, primarily their own relationships. They aren't to have malice or deceit. How do we bait the hook with each other, um, or how would some people do that? Okay. How would deceit be found in gossip? Uh, closing it under prayer. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, prayer request is really just gossip time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, pretending to be a counselor when you're really a, uh, someone who just takes the information and goes and spreads it. Yikes. Deceit. Yeah, Carrie. Sure, or saying God told me. Uh, yeah, you've got your own agenda, and sometimes it's easy. It wouldn't be easy in this church, but in some churches it would be easy to come along and say, well, God told me to do this, and then you just do your own thing. Yeah. Or, heaven forbid, someone in the church who has malice, who has evil intentions, and deceives us by being a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? That's deception, isn't it? The sheep's clothing is that worm on the hook, and so can lead many people astray that way. So all malice and all deceit, uh, that's the way at least the ESV translates it, and that's good to have the all before each one of those, all malice and all deceit. What's interesting about the next three words, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, these three words are all plural in the Greek, so it's, you could be read this way, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisies, envies, and slanders. 
So both ways of expressing this, whether it's plural or putting the word all before it, it's saying any manifestation of these things, any version of hypocrisy, any version of envy, any version of deceit, put these things away. All right? So let's think about these last three words, hypocrisies. Uh, That word, you've probably heard this said before, uh, the Greek word for that means to put on a mask, to play act. In that day, they would put on a big smiley mask or a frowny mask when they would do their stage acting, and that's how they would go about doing their plays. They would wear a mask. And that's what the word hypocrisy means, is to act one way, put on a mask for people, yet behind the mask, there's someone else. So what are some thoughts that you have on that? Rex? Oh, yeah. You see him one way, and then there are another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. They, yeah. They were just completely different. Yes, the, he could be Mr. Spiritual oh. when we're all gathered, yeah. and then he's flipping you some obscene gesture on the interstate, passing you on the way home. Well, yeah. Yeah. he had he had made a statement. At least he's being he honest about it. <laughs> he's, at least he's being honest about his dishonesty. <laughs> so, yeah. He had, he had self-awareness, at least. Uh, yeah, there are some people who are deluded in their hypocrisies, even. Uh, but yeah, it means being disingenuous, not being forthcoming, being a hypocrite. Gary? Sure. Well, yeah, uh, so hypocrisy, of course, <clears throat> Jesus identified that as the leaven of the Pharisees, is hypocrisy. And they, uh, of course, profess to have a very high regard for God's justice, a high regard for God's law, and yet they were tolerating all sorts of wickedness and injustice that took place. Uh, so that, that would be a, a prime example. You read Matthew 23 where Jesus goes off on the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he says over and over again. And he often says, woe to you, hypocrites, right? Um, so absolutely, it can, be, it can be found in tolerance. Yep, yep, good. Envies, the fourth word to put away. What does it mean to be envious? Yeah, essentially coveting, right? Uh, same, same idea. And as you think about envy, boy, that is just a, it's a wicked one. Because what you're doing when you're envying somebody is you're begrudging their blessings. In the ways that God has blessed that person, you begrudge them because of that. Isn't that awful? Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, their happiness makes you sad. Totally opposite of love. That's right. Because agape love is what kind of love? Sacrificial. Sacrificial. And sacrifice is the opposite of envy, isn't it? Sacrifice, you're found on your knees washing somebody's feet. And envy, you're standing far back wishing someone harm because their blessings are causing you to be sad. Wicked stuff. And then lastly is slandering. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisies, envies, and slanders. What does it mean to slander? Okay. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Seeking to spoil a reputation. Going out, um, do what? Well, it depends, um, because context is everything, right? Um, it, it really depends, because there's all sorts of, I mean, who here hasn't sinned this week? 
come teach. <laughs> Switch spots with me. Um, we, we've all, we all do things all the time that are wrong. And, uh, okay, so just because someone does something wrong, I saw, you know, Andy get, like, just really envious of somebody else. I saw it. So now I'm going to go tell Carrie that Andy did that. Well, that's a truth, but is that the way that I should be handling that? Yeah. Because <laughs> love would demand I go to him and talk to him about it, right? Um, but slander, whether it's a lie or a truth, okay, it is with the intent of causing harm to somebody with your words and to their reputation. Uh, very closely related to gossip. So slandering is speaking against somebody not loving that person, okay? Questions on those five items that Peter tells us to put aside. Interesting that he picked those five. Out of all the things he could have picked, he picked those five. Thoughts on any of that or questions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it, it totally depends on context. So if we're talking about... Um, hmm. So if we're talking about a leader in our nation... <laughs> doesn't have to be the president, all right? Could be anybody. A leader. I mean, it could be lo- more local than that. It could be our mayor, right? I mean, it's not likely to happen here, but in some bigger cities in America, it could be that a mayor makes a very awful, terrible decision uh, that affects Christians and affects a whole bunch of people. So talking to somebody about a decision that a leader made, perhaps, like the mayor did made this decision and you're telling a fellow Christian about it and you are saying, isn't this awful? Isn't it terrible? That's not slander. It's just a fact and it's something to pray about and it's something to discuss. Um, So particularly, the first thing we need to be careful about is people in the church with a brother and sister in Christ, that sort of thing. We have to be so careful that we're not seeking to damage those people's reputation, but that we're handling it the way Jesus has called us to handle it, which is talking face to face, starting there. Um, if it's somebody that's not in our area of influence, someone who's outside of our area of influence, and it's just a fact of, it's a headline in the news or whatever it may be, then, um, yeah, just have a heart about you that's full of gospel love still, but it's, it's not slander just to discuss facts and to point out that something is evil. That's not slander. Char. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good to be aware of things. It's good to discuss things. It's good to warn each other of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, that's right. And God, only God knows the motives of your heart, so you've got to ask the Lord to direct that, okay? Yeah. It is so hard to know where the line is, isn't it? Because <laughs> you can have a clear conscience about it, but then still feel bad. It's a terrible, yeah. And, and the Lord knows your heart, and you should find comfort in that, but also, um, you know, that should cause us a little bit of hesitation too. The Lord sees our motives, and so that means we need to check our motives. You can't just go about living your life flippantly. But at the same time, ask the Lord to direct your motives. We have to ask the Lord to direct our hearts because that is going to happen, whether that's in the context of work, whether it's in the context of church, wherever it is, we just need to have a heart about us that's full of love, a heart about us that's uh, not seeking malice, evil, 
envies and slanders, that sort of thing. Okay? Well, let's look at examples of this in the church. There are four passages I want us to look at. Who can get the 2 Corinthians 12 passage for us? Who can get that? Sandra? Galatians 2. Who can get that one? Rex? Philippians 1, 12 to 17. Any takers? Okay, Logan? Last one, 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5, Joseph. Okay, so these are examples of malice, deceit, hypocrisies, envies, and or slanders in the church. We have plenty of examples in the New Testament, sadly. They are there. Um, And I want us to see these playing out in the context of the church. Because it's not just when you leave this place, then you need to beware to not have any malice, etc. It's when you're in the fellowship, primarily we need to be looking for these things, as well as when we go out, okay? So let's look at these, starting with 2 Corinthians 12, verses 19 through 21. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, speaking to them about his character, defending himself, and then he's going to speak about their character. So, Sandra, go ahead and read that for us. All right, so Paul is saying there might be these things among you to the Corinthian church. This is his second letter to them. So apparently the first letter didn't take too well, right? (laughs) Uh, We're learning that on Sunday mornings, uh, learning that letter. But he's saying he's afraid that these things are going on and that when he comes again, God might humiliate him before them. Galatians, the next book, right after 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 14. This is uh, Paul talking about Peter's hypocrisy. Go ahead, Rex. When Peter came to end, Jewish customs. All right. So um, Peter, this is a pretty well-known story. You know, Peter who, uh, when the Gentiles were around, he'd have a good time with them. And then as soon as more Jewish-minded people showed up, he'd back away and say, oh yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to do with them. Yeah, who would, who would associate with those people? What a hypocrite. Now, what's interesting, Carrie, going back to your question about um, if it's true, is it slander? You know, Paul felt comfortable sharing this with the Galatians, which is, which is interesting. Here, Peter was caught in a sin, and he did confront Peter in a sin. He didn't say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to mark that down and keep that in mind about that guy, and I'm going to go tell other people about it. He confronted Peter about it. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, but then he also felt comfortable sharing it with the Galatians. Now, take that for what it's worth. Uh, it's a, just an interesting thing. And Paul isn't slandering Peter's character here. He's just recounting what happened. So there's an example of hypocrisy in the church. And does that still go on today? Yeah, it sure does. It does. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 17. Was that you, Logan? Okay, this is Paul... In prison, what does he have to say? 12 to 17. I want you to know, brothers, that what is be in my prison? All right. Verse 16, or 15 rather, is pretty wild. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Is that, are they preaching the true Christ? Because what does Paul go on to say? It's not in the right spirit. So he goes on to say, the latter do it out of, or he says, some do it from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. Verse 16, 
The ones who do it out of goodwill do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. So they're trying to hurt Paul in my imprisonment. And then he goes on to say, finishes with this, what, 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 what do I say? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It must be the true Christ. He was rejoicing in it. He wouldn't rejoice in a false Christ. So now try to, and, and this makes it even harder, because try to wrap your mind around someone truly preaching Christ, but from in, envy and trying to hurt Paul. It's wild, isn't it? My, my dear friend Ken preached this passage last Sunday uh, at his church, and uh, we talked through that. It's a tough passage. But it happens. I mean, humans are complicated people, and sin complicates things. That happens in the church. People preaching Christ with sinful motives. Wow. And then finally, 1 Timothy 6. Joseph, you got that one? 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. If anyone advocates, All right. So Paul is writing this to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's telling him these things because it can happen in the church, that people would be puffed up, verse 4, they're puffed up with conceit, they understand nothing, and they have unhealthy cravings for controversy and quarrels about words. Happens in the church. Malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, slander. See how it's happening quite a bit in the New Testament? This is, remember, these are a selected portion. It's almost every letter you can find that this stuff is going on in the church. So Peter's encouragement to us, his instruction to us, is very pertinent for every generation because this happens in the church. Thoughts on that phenomenon? Or questions? Andrew. So I guess going back to what it's not true. Totally acceptable. Um, a public... Public false teaching, but, I mean, it almost requires a public response, doesn't it? Now, again, if that person is somehow in your area of influence, if you have access to a coffee meeting with Bill Johnson or uh, Joel Osteen or somebody like that, take it up. Go meet with the person. But the vast majority of the time, those people are, like, untouchable. You can't get to those people. Um, but... Ha- they have a public teaching that's affecting people, counter that with a public response that's biblical. Okay, that's totally appropriate. Absolutely appropriate. Carrie. Those kind of people. The Lord can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Yeah, that's it. Because we're all, at the end of the day, we're all crooked to some degree, right? Um, but when you start getting that level like wolves in sheep's clothing with huge influence, He can even use those people. I mean, that's profound that He does such a thing. Because their faith was in the man, ultimately, yes. And so they never really were saved, right? They, they were just associating. Yeah, and, and we know that in various places when it talks about false teachers in the New Testament, it talks about them leading many astray, and there's a responsibility on their part for doing that to other people. Not that the other people are just mindless drones who can't think for themselves, but they were influenced. And even in that passage we read in Galatians 2, do you remember what it said about Barnabas? Yeah. He, Paul painted Barnabas like a victim in that situation, that he was led astray by Peter, probably looked up to Peter. Peter was an apostle, for crying out loud. And there was, yeah, Peter sinned against Barnabas too. 
wasn't just sinning against the Lord, he sinned against Barnabas by being that sinful influence in his life. So, so yeah, as these things go on in the church, it's gnarly, but it has to be addressed, and we have to watch out for it in our own hearts. Notice, going back to 1 Peter 2, see the, uh, what it says at the beginning, the phrase, put away these things. Okay? That is the Christian life, is being aware of these things in your own heart and constantly looking to set these things aside. It's, the phrase literally means it's the same word that's used for taking off a, a cloak. Um, I like to wear hats. I usually don't wear them when I'm uh, teaching or anything. But I, I have several hats that I like. In fact, um, there's a particular place I like to buy my hats, Ebbets Field Flannels. They make hats, Pacific Coast League hats from a long time ago, old baseball hats, out of wool in the same way they used to make those hats. I like those hats. So if you see my H hat or my B hat or my other hats, that's where those come from. Um, and I will often, you know, put one on and at the end of the day take one off or perhaps sometimes in the middle of the day switch them. But that's what that means is to take it off, to set aside. So, of course, it's not as simple as taking off a hat, but that's what this phrase literally means is to take those things off of you, put those things off, lay them aside, put them aside. And that is the call of the Christian life in light of our salvation, the call to holiness, our future judgment, and our new birth through the Word. Take those things off and walk the life that God has for you, okay? That, that's the call here. Joseph. So, going back to those who preach Christ as envy, what is that really envy? Yeah, it's, yeah, this is you know, it's the only passage like it, so you don't really have another passage to look at to add some details. But it seems like the, the best explanation is there are certain people who go out and preach Christ, and the way they view it is someone's going to see, succeed and someone's going to fail. Not everyone's going to succeed. Because remember, they're, envy, they're preaching from envy, but they're also preaching with a particular goal to do harm to Paul. They want Paul to decrease and for themselves to increase. So they're going out, not seeing that Paul can increase and they can increase, and that that we can all have gospel success, right? They're seeing it as a competition. They're preaching Christ from competition. And that is not the mindset that any preacher of the gospel should ever have. The gospel has no room for competition. Um, it's the gospel. We work together. We get it out there, and God does the work, doesn't he? When we get so caught up in thinking that we're doing the work, then we start to compete. Okay. Yeah. And there is biblical precedent for this. Um, in 1 Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there, but twice in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells this church, you are doing well, but excel still more. Now, that's not competition. That's just personal growth and seeking to increase your fruit for the Lord if He would use you in that way. And that is a good heart to have. Um, you know, Paul specifically in that chapter is talking about sanctification. You're doing well, but excel still more. And so that's a, like a holy discontentment, which is good to have. Okay? But if, once it becomes competition, then we've left the gospel. Okay? All right, so 1 Peter 2, as these things are set aside, these sins, these five things that are listed, as they're set aside, they are replaced with spiritual milk. Let me read 2 and 3 again. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
So the first thing he does is call them babies. <laughs> now, he's not referencing their level of maturity here. He's setting up an illustration. He's not calling them babes in Christ. That is a phrase that we find in the New Testament. Paul uses that phrasing. He's not talking about that at all. He's using an illustration. He's using a simile, actually. You men's lunch guys who have been reading that book on hermeneutics, yeah, a simile. You see the word like there, right? So you know it's a simile. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. To long for, of course, is a great desire or a yearning for. It's this word here in tonight's summary sentence, the word crave, crave. As newborn infants crave for the pure spiritual milk. Um, That phrase, to long for, is found so often in the New Testament when Paul's talking about the churches, how he longs to see people. You know, Paul's heart for people and Paul's heart for the churches. I long to be with you, and I long for when we can be together that I may impart some spiritual gift. And this is the posture that we are to have toward the things of God. As newborn infants, as obedient children, we are to long for the things of God as our spiritual food. And James, the book of James is so similar on this. You can turn just to the left. It's the book right before 1 Peter. Look at James chapter 1. We looked at this passage maybe last week. Uh, It's just so similar to Peter in this. Starting at verse 18 of chapter 1. James 1.18, it says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away, hey, there's our phrase from tonight, right? Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We are to long for the Word of God as we set these things aside, that we would live for God and honor God with the life that He's given us. I preached recently on Psalm 119, and I'll read to you a couple verses from Psalm 119, verses 81 and 82. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? He longs for salvation. He hopes in the Word. He longs for God's promise. That's the posture the believer is to have toward God as we approach God, a craving, a yearning for the things of God, to wait for God, to long for God. And in this case, in 1 Peter 2, it's specifically a longing for the pure spiritual milk. So pure milk, what is that? Let's see if we can define this. Pure milk. What does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. Not, uh, not the black market raw milk? You can't find that stuff in stores anymore. You've got to go with the underground for that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. True. They need the nutrients. So, yeah, mother's milk, right. So what is the correlation in our spiritual life? What is Peter talking about? He's obviously not talking about actual milk. So what is our milk? Okay. 
And yeah, the answer really is all of the above. <laughs> yeah, every, everything you all just said, yes, that's right. Um, it's an interesting thing, the, the phrasing here, because some of your translations say what I read, for the pure spiritual milk. And other translations say the pure milk of the Word, right? And it's that word spiritual that some of you have, um, and some of you have of the Word. It's a, a word in the Greek that could mean either one. It could be in reference to the Word of God. It could be in reference to uh, spiritual things, generally. But the idea here, of course, is the things of God that we have through the Word of God. Peter has talked about the Word of God so much leading up to this passage, talking about being born again through the Word just in the verses before, and now he's saying that we need to long for the pure spiritual milk that we get from the Word of God. Okay? Um, that is the calling on our lives. We are to pursue a life that reflects the grace and love of God. We were born again through the Word that we might crave a life defined by it. And that's really what this is when we think about the pure milk. What is the pure milk? Well, it's a life defined by the Word of God, a life that reflects the grace of God, a life that reflects the love of God as He pours into us and we seek Him. And that just keeps happening and keeps happening as through His Spirit He's pouring His love into our hearts and we are pursuing Him in gospel love. That is what we are to do as we set aside these sinful things, these ways that we sin against each other, the ways that we don't love each other. As we set those things aside, we turn to God and we grow in this life as we receive this spiritual milk. Because remember, look back up at the end of chapter 1 that we talked about last week. We were born again through the Word of God, verse 22, toward this aim, a sincere brotherly love. We weren't born again, we weren't given salvation so that we can then just, in isolation for the rest of our lives, enjoy the fact that we're not going to hell anymore. Some people think that's what salvation is. That is not what salvation is. Now, of course, there's an aspect of that where individually, yes, you are saved, and now you have the gift of eternal life that you didn't have before, and you have an individual personal relationship with God. Yes, all of those things are true. But it's also true, verse 22 again, that our souls have been purified for a sincere brotherly love. That happens in the context of our fellowship. That happens in the context of the gathering. And that's why we're called to set aside all these things, because here we are together, we're to set aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander for the sake of brotherly love, for the sake of the Christ life that's been given to us as we long for God, and He pours into us, and that cycle builds us up in love together. We receive God's grace by meeting Him in His Word and by serving His people. That's the spiritual milk we're to be longing for. That's our sustenance. That's what keeps us going. That's the spiritual milk. That makes sense? Is that good? Is that agreeable? Logan. Yep, you got ahead of me on my notes. That's where I was going, Psalm 34, uh, in a little bit. Yes, this, is, this definitely has the overtones of Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes, absolutely, good. Anything else? Okay, well, as we go to the Word of God, 
as we receive our spiritual milk in this life, living for God, as He's pouring into us, what does the milk do to us, according to verse 2? Grow, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So just like milk nourishes a baby, and the baby grows, same thing spiritually. We grow up into our salvation. That means that uh, this is God's means for growing us. God has given us uh, a life to walk in. He's put us in a family. He's given us these deep, amazing truths. He's given us just a, a wonderful walk with Him in this life. And through it, He's going to grow us. We don't get to say how that works. <laughs> we don't get saved and then say, okay, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I'm going to grow that way. God has placed us in a family to show brotherly love. He's given us His Word, and He uses those means to grow us up in love, to nourish our souls. Our sanctification depends on these things. And our sanctification is in direct correlation with our salvation. Notice it says that you may grow up into salvation. This is a growth toward the final salvation, that Jesus is returning. Uh, we've been talking about through this letter uh, that Peter's view of salvation isn't just when you're born again. His view of salvation is it starts there, but it's completed when Jesus returns. Look back at chapter 1, verse 5, just to refresh yourself here. Peter says that by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are growing up toward this salvation. We are growing up toward the coming of Christ. We are growing through this life continually until the Lord's return, until our salvation is finally revealed to us at the last time. So that's Peter's holistic view is that our sanctification is a lifelong process leading toward Christ's return. Okay? And then finally he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Was he really questioning that they had tasted that the Lord is good? Was he really saying, you know, if you guys actually have been saved? Was he saying that? Yeah. Think of all the things Peter has affirmed in them through the first chapter. God has chosen you as exiles. He's caused you to be born again. And now he's not turning it and saying, but I'm not really sure. No, that's not what Peter's doing. Um, what Peter is saying here is like Stacy just said, that was very good. Um, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's very similar to Ephesians 4. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, um, he was talking to them about their new life, their new Christian life. And he talks about these sinful ways of life. And he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self and to put on the new. Now, Paul isn't saying to the Ephesians, I'm not sure if any of you are saved. That's not what he's saying. Ephesians 1 and 2 is perhaps the clearest place where we understand that God is absolutely sovereign in salvation and our salvation is absolutely sure. It's very clear. So he doesn't get to chapter 4 and then say, yeah, but I'm not sure. He's saying, uh, since you have, all right, or making the point that they have, 
He's not questioning it, just as Peter isn't questioning it here, okay? And again, um, as Logan pointed out, Psalm 34 is where Peter is drawing this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he removes the seeing part, just saying, if you've tasted that the Lord is good or that the Lord is kind, yours might say, um, playing on the idea of that spiritual milk. We're tasting God's goodness, God's kindness as we grow, aren't we? And we're receiving that spiritual milk. Now, I want to close with, with this. Let me erase this. Focusing on that last verse, um, the goodness or the kindness of God. And just out of curiosity, raise your hand if yours says good, that the Lord is good. That's what the ESV says. Me and Logan. Raise your hand if it says kind. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Verse 3. Verse 3 is where we are. The end of verse 3. Or kindness of God. Kindness or goodness. Okay, that's the main one then. Okay, interesting. Good. Well, let's, let me finish by talking about the kindness of God, and there are three passages that I want us to look at. The first is Romans 2, and we're going to look at all these together, okay? Um, and this is what we're going to finish on. So you can write these down if you want, and then we're going to turn to them. Romans 2, 2 to 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And then Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. What I want us to see in these passages is how... What color can I use? I'll just use black. That's pretty boring, but I'll use black. What I want us to see in these three passages, in, a, in, um, in conjunction with 1 Peter, is that God's kindness is actually manifested in our salvation, in our redemption. Okay? Let's do a a small word study on that word kindness. Starting with Romans 2. I'll turn there. Romans chapter 2. And would someone read verses 2 through 4? Romans 2, 2 to 4. Who's got it? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Why did you repent? <laughs> well, that, that's what caused your repentance, uh, or caused the need for your repentance. But why did you actually repent? Dean said it. God's kindness. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Isn't that an amazing thing? You ever been so frustrated with somebody who isn't repenting? And then ask yourself, am I being kind as God has been kind toward me? It's not God's whipping of us that leads us to repentance. <laughs> now, His kindness, you know, the, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy, right? We get that, that God does discipline His children, and He brings us to repentance through discipline. But what I'm saying is, His coming at us like a football coach and treating us that way isn't exactly the picture we get here. It's His kindness. That leads us to repentance. His patience, it says. His forbearance. His kindness leads us to repentance. So God's kindness is manifested in our redemption. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at this. Again, look for that word kindness as we read through these verses. Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. Who would like to read that? Rex, go ahead. But because, because of his great love... 
All right. So much to see in that passage. You know and love that passage. You've memorized that passage. But let's highlight there in verse 7. Why did God save you? (laughs) With what purpose? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's kindness is manifested in our redemption. This is our initial tasting that the Lord is kind, that the Lord is good. God's kindness. And then one more, Titus 3, verses 3 to 7. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, a top 10 for me, uh, as far as just I'm encouraged by it, I love to share it. It's just a wonderful jam-packed, full-of-truth type of passage. I'll read it. Verses 3 to 7 in Titus chapter 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. These are the words we were hearing earlier, right? Hated by others and hating one another. But, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Doesn't that make you just want to run through a wall? (laughs) I mean, it's just so good. You can just feel like, you can just feel like powerful reading something like that because God has done such a work in you. And again, back in verse 5, um, or verse 4 rather, what appeared to us? The goodness and kindness of God appeared to us. God's goodness and His loving kindness appeared. God's kindness is manifested in our redemption. We taste that the Lord is good. And as we grow in our sanctification, as we grow toward our salvation, the ultimate revealing of our salvation, when Jesus returns, we are being nourished by His kindness again and again, the kindness that saved us, the kindness that appeared to us, interrupting our lives, our walk of sin, interrupting all of that, causing us to be born again, such kindness that we tasted and we keep feeding on it as we grow because He's using it to build you up in love and to build us up together in love. Isn't that delightful? Isn't that great? Finishing thoughts or questions or anything. We have a little bit of time. If you've got any, anything that's even outside of our passage tonight, I would entertain a, a question or two. Okay. <laughs> well, <clears throat> it is, an, yeah, that's a very interesting question. It's a deep philosophical, theological question. Were the people in the, were saints in the Old Testament regenerated as we are today? Were they born again? We're not going to come to a conclusion on that tonight, Dean, but... Uh, <laughs> but we do have to say 
they were born in sin as we are. Everybody since Adam was born in sin. Okay? All the same. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. And there were saints in the Old Testament. Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That happened. Not just to Abraham, but to many people. And again, going back to Psalm 34, David was able to proclaim, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His saints, those who fear Him, have no lack. The young lions suffer and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So they definitely experienced the goodness and the kindness of God. Yet, they didn't do it with the gospel knowledge that we have today. They were on that side of the cross, right? And we're on this side of the cross. Um, yeah. Yes. And they were in the Old Covenant. They weren't in the New Covenant yet. And all, so that means all the promises that came with the New Covenant, they didn't have. But they were able to taste and see that the Lord was good. They were able to be called saints. They were able to have faith. They were able to be saved. The details of all that, uh, figure it out and write a book. <laughs> Anything else? Maybe a little bit of a lighter question uh, than that. No? That's no, good. Andy. Certainly. Uh, did they have the Holy Spirit in the same way that we do today? Seems as though they didn't. He came and went. Yes, um, upon different people. And we see in David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why do I have that memorized in King James? No idea. Uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Okay, that is uh, not a prayer we pray, is it? We shouldn't. Uh, because we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us until the day of redemption. So, there, yep, that's a new covenant blessing. Okay. Yeah, like uh, that Titus 3 passage was saying, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Yep. Good. Carrie. Good. Yeah, well, the... Um, the, no, the public school system has, uh, in many ways, become a lion's den, and it's perhaps high time for Christian families to get their kids out of there. Um, the answer to our prayers might be, educate your children at home. Um, that's where my children are going to be educated for the time being, and, uh, or find another solution. I, I long for a day when we would have Christian education facility here on this property. Um, it's a big dream. It's going to take a lot of people, a lot of effort. Okay. <laughs> Hear that, Andy? She's quitting her job. <laughs> we we uh, can't pay anything or provide any benefits, but uh, your spiritual reward, your heavenly rewards, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went to a public school in central Missouri where the biology teacher in my ninth grade class ripped out the pages of the science book that had to do with evolution. He didn't teach those things. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't talk about the Lord at all. But uh, it was, by God's grace, just a conservative place that was more in line with biblical values. 
and uh, I'm thankful that I had that opportunity, but those types of public schools are disappearing by the minute. It's really shocking to be here because this is Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely. We lost the universities a long time ago, and the people coming out of the universities are the ones educating the children. So. Diana, we'll make this the last one. You get to be okay, the cherry on top. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. So Greeks would have been very offended if they would have been around, yeah. So now you can, we can all um, call Jessica, her nickname is Malice now, okay? <laughs> Here comes Malice. <laughs> oh, good, okay. Well, why don't I pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you so much for your faithfulness to us that even in... Uh, crooked and perverse generation, that you have a remnant, that you're saving your people, you're raising up uh, voices and leaders and influencers in the culture and in your churches, and we ask that we would uh, contribute to those positive, those good uh, things that are happening in your kingdom, that we would be active people in the church and in the community, uh, advocates for your truth, that we would be lights shining brightly, and that we would not fear the enemy, that we would not fear the works of darkness, knowing that you are on our side and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, knowing that nothing can shake the gates of your kingdom. You're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, give us that godly confidence as we go about this life, that we would be bold, that we would be involved, that we would be innovative that we wouldn't just sit on the sideline, but that we would walk in these ways you've prepared for us, and that we would honor you all the while as we live lives of faith, prioritizing gospel love in all of our areas of influence. And we ask that you would do this in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.